He's had to go through a murderous row. An incredible run for him. There's no room to give. You have to keep winning or else you're just done. Look at that. He made it look so easy. This is unlike anything we've ever seen. If you keep working away, you can edge your way to the next rung of the ladder. That's the real prize, making it to Worlds. He has played more matches than anybody else in the field. All of a sudden, I was in the final of the Pro Tour. Finding the card that he needed to get himself into Worlds. An incredible performance across the entire week. Up on top of the library in spectacular fashion. That's the way we like to see it happen. Hello and welcome to Weekly MTG, and today is October 7th, so if you're paying attention to what we just watched, tomorrow is the first day of Magic World Championship 27. And so here today to talk about all things that we're going to see and find out uh, all about the top 16 players in the world this weekend, we have Paul Chian and Cedric Phillips, who are going to be two of the hosts this weekend for all the action. So welcome, you two. Good to be here. Excited for the Great event after watching here. that video. <laughs> yeah, right? A little, little bit stoked, as if, you, as if you weren't excited already. Yeah, um, for sure. Should be, let's, should let's be first awesome. Of all, it, it should be. I'm, I'm excited. We've, we've seen the deck lists. We know who the players are. So we're going to talk about all of that today. We'll talk about standard. We'll talk about draft. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what the players have at stake today. But first, if you're not familiar uh, with the World Championship, let's just run you through real quick what's going to be happening over the next three days. So we've got 16 players uh, all showing up this weekend uh, from the 2021 from the 2020-2021 season. They're going to be playing Innistrad Midnight Hunt Draft. And standard, really stoked for the draft portion. We haven't had high-level draft in a while. Uh, the champion at the end of three days will be the world champion and will get, uh, like Paula before them, their likeness on a Magic the Gathering card in the future. Uh, Paul, what can you tell us about the broadcast over the next three days? What, how can people watch this? Yeah, so the event's going to be broadcast on twitch.tv slash magic, where everybody's watching right now. Uh, it's going to start tomorrow at 9 a.m., and it's going to be uh, taking place over the course of three days. Uh, day one is going to be five rounds. You're going to see a full draft. We're going to be covering the draft, both drafts even. So it's going to be three rounds of draft, two rounds of standard, followed by day two, which is going to be on Saturday. It's going to be five rounds of standard constructed. And then it's going to cut to a top four, which is going to be on Sunday. And uh, the top four is going to be played out. It's going to be double elimination style, and we will crown our world champion at the end of that at the end of that day. Yeah, and we're all we're all going to share our guesses for who the world champion is going to be. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to talk a little bit about the standard format because the world championship it may be a small field, but this is the first big major tournament since the standard rotation and the release of Innistrad Midnight Hunt. So we've recently said goodbye to some old favorites or not some favorites and uh, hello to a number of new strategies. So one of our 
community managers, Athena, put together a short video to, to walk through that transition. Let's take a look at that. opponent don't play the thing that doubles the power of your creatures please don't play that please don't kill don't play the unnatural growth oh, the cats that they played it they played the card that's so strong mm! thank god I top deck another binding of blue ball Sechs Turn Clock. going to miss getting ember cleaved out of every other game i played it happened constantly uh might might see a lot more Auron's epiphanies though as we just saw in that last uh, we might last replay. we might yeah let's let's Maybe. talk about standard for a little bit so we we asked the arena team to pull a little bit of data uh and so we we found out what the the we went six deep because I think the top five would have uh, had some people scratching their head where number six was. Uh, but we, we do have the top six cards that are being played in standard best of three ladder play. Uh, Cedric, anything on that list surprise you, shock you? Uh, if I had to pick one thing that surprises me, there it is Infernal Grasp, I guess I would say, because uh, black has not been terribly well represented uh, in standard at the moment, and certainly not in the world championships, if you've had the opportunity to take a look at the deck list. So, Seeker's Chariot, Renin 7, All Runs Epiphany, Goldspan Dragon. Yeah, those those should be there. That's no real surprise. Shadow Skull Smashing, the flexibility of it being a modal double phase card, not terribly surprising either. But that, that Infernal Grass, what are you doing there, bud? <laughs> Paul, what does this tell you about kind of the early metagame? Because th this is data that, that started from when Midnight Hunt was released. What does this tell you about the early metagame and how things have adapted since then? Well, so as you can see, there's more red cards here represented. And I think kind of coming into uh, the new standard season, the deck that a lot of people were really excited to try out was Gruul. Um, I know we lost Ember Cleave, but you still had the Seekers Chariot, you still had Goldspan Dragon. So a lot of people were trying to take that Gruul package and play it in a bunch of decks and it had okay success. 
But as the metagame has developed, most people have just chosen to get rid of the red and the aggressive deck of choice to play now has shifted into mono green. So you're seeing a lot less Goldspan Dragons be played, and you're, seeing, you're also seeing less Shatter Skull Smashings. This was a card that you saw multiple copies of. Basically, if you were playing a red deck, you saw three to four copies of this card because in aggressive strategies, it doesn't hurt you. And if you're playing with Smoldering Egg, Shatter Skull Smashing is an excellent combination. But since the metagame has now shifted away from those Gruel Aggressive decks, and also the fact that a lot of these Izzet decks are now playing the, the full-on copy time walk yavanic iteration version you're slowly seeing less shatter skull smashings as well being represented that being said isika's chariot still kind of the top dog aggressive card and uh yeah our epiphany i would be shocked if it's still sitting at number six if we were to take a snapshot of the standard metagame for maybe the last week all right well let's take a look at what we're going to see for the metagame this weekend as i said the the deck lists have all been revealed the uh, metagame is known uh cedric what do you take away from this breakdown well i could talk about this for an hour i'll try to condense and do about <laughs> 90 seconds for you blake uh naturally all runs epiphany is very very popular here uh half the field into this very powerful blue sorcery. Not much of a surprise there. Honestly, I thought there might actually be more than that before the deck list had come out. Uh, there's a Grixis uh, variant, and then there's the more traditional take with Is It Epiphany. Both these decks are very good. And this Grixis version is a lot more, I guess I'll use the term flexible in what it can do, thanks to Leer, access to Duress, and a couple of different cards in the build for those four players. Is It Epiphany taking a much more standardized and traditional approach as far as Epiphany decks are concerned. Still very powerful, don't get me wrong, but not taking the risks that the Grixis version is playing. And then Mono Green Aggro, which, you know, it's been dominating for a little while now, not just in standard, but if you also remember those uh, those standard like 2022 cues that were on Magic Online, it was kind of, or excuse me, Magic Arena, it was like kind of smashing there mm -hmm. too. So that transition yep. has gone over pretty well into the Innistrad Midnight Hunt standard format. Uh, Asika's Chariot, as we've already discussed, very, very powerful card, but we can't undersell Werewolf, Pack Leader, and Old Growth Troll. And then of the decks that are kind of remaining here, these five, the one that really stands out to me, uh, that I can't believe this, but it's true, Paul likes it too. Mono White <laughs> that, and That's wild. <laughs> it is wild. I would never think that you would do this sort of thing ever in your Magic career, but it's a deck that... I am naturally, I, I naturally gravitate towards, um, for very obvious reasons, if you followed my career at all, but it is incredibly well positioned, we, not me, we believe, this weekend. So keep your eyes out on Usher of the Fallen Company. Yeah, let's just now, put it now, this Paul, way. We, we, oh, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. I was, I was going to say, uh, Paul, we, you know, like Cedric was talking about, some of these decks were kind of known quantities, even coming into uh, standard before Midnight Hunt, Mono Green being in 2022, Is It Dragons being in the 2022 format. Uh, what kind of innovations do you see happening in the field here? Well, I think probably one of the coolest decks that was submitted was the deck that was submitted by uh, the, the squad that Nassif was on. It was uh, Gabriel Nassif, Jan Mortz Merkel, Matt Sperling, and Eli Cassis. They chose to add black uh, to have kind of a few more proactive um, and, uh, th answers or sorry, threat uh, threats in their deck and um, disruption. So they're choosing to play Leer. And after playing that deck, Leer it's is so no good. joke. 
It is incredible. And, and the thing is, everything had to kind of align perfectly to make this happen. At the onset of the format, a lot of people was on, is it dragons? And when they were playing that deck, there was a lot of counter magic that these decks were playing. But over time, people have been choosing to play less and less counters. And so now all of a sudden, if you just tap out and slam Lear on turn five, a lot of the times it resolves. And then if you untap, game's basically over. There's just pretty much not a whole lot you can do. And given the fact that a lot of the removal in the format, especially when you play against mono green, um, are the fight spells, if you ever play Lear with one mana up and have Fading Hope up, the green decks just basically are drawing dead. And so this was Mm -hmm. basically the innovation that they made that they feel puts them over the top against mono green. Because historically speaking, the Izzet decks have lost to mono green aggro. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's an interesting one. The Celestis as well also... I, wanted to I was, I was just going to ask because it's 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 not always dropping on turn five. The Celestis actually helps power layer out a turn earlier if you want, or on turn five to leave that mana open. How big a difference does Celestis make in this deck? Uh, it's huge. It's huge. Um, every aspect of that card actually is so, so, so strong in this deck. Number one, having ramp elements is really, really strong, right? You're trying to get up to Alrun's Epiphany or trying to get up to Lear plus Fading Hope back up to protect it. Additionally, you're playing a control deck, right? You're playing a lot of reactive cards. There are cards that's just complete garbage in certain matchups, right? You have, you're playing against yeah. the, a, you're playing against a creature deck and you draw a bunch of duresses. You're like, well, this doesn't do anything. All of a sudden, the mm-hmm. Celestis allows you to filter through all those bad cards. So, uh, and not to mention also that life gain, you think it's irrelevant? Ooh. It's really oh. relevant. Yeah. yeah Anytime yeah. you add incidental life gain to anything, it just makes it that much more powerful. I mean, look at cards like Lightning Helix or Absorb, right? Just you see these cards, you're like, oh, life gain. Yeah, that's okay. No, it's huge, especially in these control decks. So I think the big thing to focus on, especially in this tournament, is how important ramp is. Because you see this in the Grixis deck, but not only in the Grixis deck. When you look at the deck that the Czech House submitted, the team of, of Stan Sivka, Andre Strasky, and Arne Hushenbet, they're playing three to four copies of Unexpected Windfall. And this is a card that mm-hmm. allows you to, fil- to filter through, help find your combo, but more importantly, gives you the two treasures to try to combo off earlier. So both of these decks, realizing that they're like maybe half a turn or a turn slower than the aggressive strategies, chose to play a few more acceleration elements so that, could they, so that they can keep up with those aggro decks. Yeah. Now, now, Cedric, speaking of the aggro decks, there are two mono-white aggro decks here, and, and mono-white's near and dear to your heart. What are you seeing in terms of innovation in those lists? Well, the biggest thing to point out about those decks, because there's a myriad of three drops you can play, right? You can play Elite Spellbinder, you can play Skyclave Apparition. All the, I mean, I could name over, I could just go on for a while about the three drops you can play. It's just finding the right ones to play. And Adeline is definitely one that's quite good. Elite Spellbinder, Allos card is, of course, very, very good. But even as good as that card is, it's not like the end-all be-all for this deck, right? But the the trying to figure out the right three drops to play was step number one, but also trying to figure out the right one drops to play because the white one drops right now are very much lacking outside of Usher of the Fallen, right? So, you know, do you want to play a card which, look, I'm not against sleeping up a Battlefield Raptor, but I don't want to. And neither did these players, so that's fine. Like, a lot of the one-drops are pretty poor, and so you actually make a conscious decision in deck building of, like, how many one-drops am I actually going to play? Like, am I willing to do, like, this snowballing effect of just, like, really bad one-mana spells? And the answer was no. 
They actually don't have that many one mana spells, but they can still apply enough pressure. There still are there still are Luminarch Aspirant draws that are very very good. These three drops are all very very powerful, I and mean, we can't undersell the fact that Faceless Haven is at its best in a strategy like this that's just looking mm -hmm. to cross the finish line and not play a longer game. So there's a lot of things that do add up, and you know I didn't even talked about like Ladane's impact on the format and how how good it is against Mono Green's lands mm -hmm. and the text how good it is against the Epiphany decks like. There's a lot going in favor of this model white deck here this weekend. I think, Blake, one thing to note, finally, on this deck, too, is that intrinsically it's not the most powerful deck in the tournament. That goes to, you know, the Leer turns that Paul's talking about, right? That goes to mono green and these Ranger class turns that you can have and all, and all this stuff. Like, and Chariot turns, like, those cards are objectively more powerful. But it's the total package of what mono white's trying to do, which makes it so attractive this weekend, which is, I'm trying to kill you before you get to cast all your powerful spells. Uh, and if mm -hmm. that works, it's going to be a really good weekend for one of those two players. Yeah, one of one of the cool things, speaking of the one drops that uh, I noticed was Stonebinder's Familiar, which yes. is a card that we've, we've all seen passing by in drafts in Strixhaven, going going pretty late and, and usually sitting on the, the sideline. Why does that work as a one drop in this deck? It works well. It works firstly because it's just a one drop, and you got to get the party started with something. But more importantly, with the Spirit Dog, it works alongside Sun Gold Sentinel. Uh, and whenever Sun Gold Sentinel enters the battlefield or attacks, it exiles up to one target card from a graveyard. So a little bit of a combo mm -hmm. there. You can actually grow the Stonebinders Familiar a little bit larger. But at the end of the day, you also just like like basically the one drops that I mentioned, Battlefield Raptor, uh, and some of the other ones. Like you know, they kind of stink, right? But at least this one's got some upside of actually becoming a Two power creature, three power creature. Let's just call it a poor man's pelt collector. Let's do that. <laughs> really poor man's. I mean, I'm talking like super poor. <laughs> but yeah, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, but you know, anytime a rotation happens, you're going to have, uh, not all the decks are going to be perfect, right? We're kind of in that mm -hmm. situation where the white decks are looking for potentially another two power or one drop. Uh, you know, the, the green decks currently don't have a great one drop to play. So there's some holes. Uh, but at the mm -hmm. same time, I mean, um, you know, it, it looks like kind of what the, the you know, the, the couple of the Japanese players who submitted this deck, uh, their conclusion was, look, we don't need 12 one drops because I don't want to play unplayable one mana one one. I don't want to play Tundra Wolves in my deck, basically. Yeah. This kind of, was kind of their conclusion. And they were like, you know what? I'm going to play these familiars. Uh, I'm going to play these dogs. And then there are situations where they can grow. And then also in creature matchups after sideboard, all of a sudden you get to board in all the different versions of Brutal Cathar and Apparitions and all of those exile as well. So all of a sudden you mm -hmm. have a nice little package against other creature decks where all of a sudden your one mana can actually be like a Pelt Collector. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. All right, well, let's talk about the the two kind of roguish decks we have here. Uh, in the blue-white tempo, Azorius tempo, and the uh what are, what are we calling it i'm trying to figure out what we name what do we name it on the slide the teamer, teamer treasures there it is teamer treasures yeah. yeah um we you could call is it dragon's rogue but it's it's really just it's another variant of is it epiphany um what do we think of azorius tempo and, and teamer treasures so i can touch a little bit on the azorius uh tempo deck and this was kind of kind of kind of basically just uh, Noriki Mori, he kind of took a little snapshot of the metagame and just kind of determined that the deck to beat in this event correctly was Epiphany. 
this the the epiphany decks is is definitely the style of deck where you think a lot of the best players in the world would kind of gravitate towards. There's a lot of play to it, right? And so I think that's that that was kind of the deck you would expect a lot of the good players to play. And he wanted to attack that deck. So, you know, he basically took kind of like the white aggressive shell and decided to add more disruptive elements to it. So he added Malevolent Hermit to the deck. He added Concerted Defense to the deck, right? These are cards that just give you that added level of disruption so that basically you just, the, the opponent just can't kind of get their combo off. You know, I was always, when I, even when I was playing this format, I'm like, man, Malevolent Hermit seems like it could be really well positioned. I really wish that there was maybe a decent shell for this card. Can a deck potentially play mm -hmm. this in the main? It's a little rough because mono green aggro is everywhere, but Noriyuki Mori decided that, you know what? Epiphany is a deck I want to beat. I'm going to play a bunch of cheap counter spells and put pressure on and beat my opponents down that way. So that's what he was trying to do. I'm just curious because there's a lot of interesting card choices here. I'm just curious how it will actually uh, play out, but I will say props to him for bringing a deck of his own creation. This is something that he's done in the past, right? He, mm -hmm. even in the previous standard beta game where basically everything was figured out, he chose to bring Is It Control and that's the deck that yeah. he used to actually qualify for this event. And now he's gonna do it again. He's rolling the dice again to see if his homebrew can kind of take down the entire tournament uh, with kind of this, this new deck that nobody has ever seen. Yeah, Mori is the closest thing we have to a rookie in this event, and, and he's done it by consistently bringing his own thing. Uh, Cedric, any thoughts on the Treasures deck? It's a, it's a little different take on, on playing some dragons. Well, it's a little bit out there to be sure. So this deck ultimately is looking to, you know, bank off of the fact that Jaspera Sentinel into um, Magda, Raisin Outlaw, that's the one-two punch um, that we saw mm -hmm. in the last standard format, kind of at the back end of that, and that's what Jean-Emmanuel Dubras is kind of relying on as far as his mana engine is concerned. What are we ramping to? Well, we got some dragons, Goldspan, Dragon, and Moonvale Regents. So that's kind of the goal as far as what the heck am I accelerating to? And I guess I shouldn't undersell that as Seeker's Chariot card either. I guess that one's pretty good. <laughs> um, but I mean, that's what this deck is trying to do ultimately, Blake. Um, in the most simple of sense, it's like your old red-green decks when we were all playing Magic in high school or whatever, right? It's like Lanor Elf and a three drop and a thing. But like, you gotta mm -hmm. work harder for it now. Like with the Aspera Sentinel and Magda into five mana spell ahead of schedule. The problem here, unfortunately for Jean Emmanuel, at least in my estimation, is that he's kind of brought a knife to a bit of a gunfight here. And it's not that these cards, none of these cards are bad, obviously, but how well do you stand toe to toe against a deck like Mono Green? Well, you're not going to be able to go long against Mono Green as well as Mono Green goes long, because that's one of the things that's so attractive about Mono Green is that it's an aggressive deck that can go on for days and days and days. And by playing the creatures that you're playing, you're making a card like Blizzard Brawl be super good. And then the other mm -hmm. question, of course, is how are you going to do against these Epiphany decks? Well, Paul, you and I talked about this yesterday. I'm going to steal your thunder here a little bit. Um, if Lear gets to untap against this deck, oh no. <laughs> oh no. It's over and then some. Like, at least Mono Green has, like, the backdoor of Blizzard Brawl, maybe, right? Like... And, and this deck has a little bit of ways to like work itself out, but I'm just saying like the, the, the ways of doing it are extremely limited here. And it's just like, oh boy, there's going to be an issue in, in addition to just how these, this deck is going to be so reliant on having the Magda just bear a sentinel start in my opinion, and hoping that there isn't anything to kind of break that up so they can kind of go turn three, one of these dragons and then like coast to victory. Ideally, I just don't think it's going to play out that often uh, for this particular weekend. So um, I like the deck 
in a general sense, I don't like it for this tournament. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we, we call it Teamer. Really, the blue is only for a couple of negates in the main and some disdainful strokes in the sideboard. I don't think I'm missing any other blue cards. I, I believe that's it. And those are good cards. You know, like if yeah. you're expecting an Epiphany metagame, and we see a couple main deck copies of Negate, which counters Epiphanies and Chariots, probably the two, and Ranger class. I mean, you could argue those are the three most mm -hmm. important cards coming into the tournament. Uh, and you mentioned Disdainful Stroke and how powerful that is. That's been powerful for many years now as a sideboard option. So splashing mm -hmm. makes some sense instead of, instead of just being red-green. I just don't know if it's going to be enough. Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely make the meta in in the in this deck just because you only have a smattering of the blue cards, but then also your your acceleration effects all just help you produce mana of any color, right? You have the Jesper yeah. Sentinel and the Magda that allows you to kind of come up with the with the blue sources. One thing that I'll note about this deck is it does have the potential for some really explosive starts, right? That oh, one-two yeah. punch of Sentinel into Magda on the play is really, really difficult to deal with. Uh, even when you play a deck like the Mono Green Aggressive deck, it's called Mono Green Aggro, but oftentimes it kind of feels more mid-range. You never run out of things to do. You have no one-drops. Uh, only one of your two-drops actually hits really hard, which is the, the the Wolf, right? Everything else is kind of a two-two. They're playing Lotus Cobras. So um, the Mono Green deck you know it's got a lot of good rate cards but it doesn't quite ramp to the level that this gruel deck can and that's really what mm -hmm. this deck's trying to do because the late game of this gruel deck is significantly weaker than what a lot of the other decks are trying to do in this format makes sense all right real quick before we move on to draft your pick for the best positioned standard deck cedric blake you just want to answer it for me like i do <laughs> <laughs> My, I just my, want to hear people my, say it out loud. <laughs> my answer is mono white for this particular weekend. And this wasn't the goal coming in, by the way. All right? My, I was assuming that mono green was going to be a little bit more heavily played. But no, I think this mono white deck is incredibly, incredibly well positioned for exactly this weekend. Mm -hmm. All right, Paul? Okay, so say the deck, I, li the deck it, I like the most... <laughs> Time out. <laughs> the deck I like the most is the Grixis Epiphany deck. That is the most fun yeah. deck. Uh, I got I, I got a chance to play with it. It's it's awesome. But I, Monty and I battled against the end game boss of coverage, Maria Bartholdi, earlier today, mm -hmm. and she cleanly swept us in mm. every single matchup. And she was on the mono white aggro deck. So I'm gonna have to go with mono white aggro. Uh, I just really really like the its positioning against the Izzet decks. And mm -hmm. I, I do think it also, you know, has the tools to be kind of on par with the green decks as well, as long as it kind of gets uh, gets a really, really aggressive start. Because, again, the green decks are just not really all that fast. All right. So all I right. can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> but mono white aggro. What do people do? on? Mono what do they do? On, do, they, do, they, do they clip it? Is it do they yeah, clip I, on Twitch? No, no. I should, we make, a, yeah, should, we, they, they should we make a TikTok it? out of that? What should we be doing? <laughs> Oof. I feel dirty. All right. Okay, let's talk about drafts because this, uh, not only is it drafting at the World Championship, which is fantastic to watch in and of itself, but it's the first time we've had draft back at a high level for a while. And so I think we're going to see a lot of cool and interesting things about this format. So let's start. Um, First of all, we can let everybody know that uh, when the broadcast starts tomorrow, the featured drafter, of course, 
is going to be Paulo Vitor Domodorosa. Uh, we're going to follow the you know world champion from last year, uh, and then we'll learn a little bit about everybody, uh, some other players' drafts as well. But let's talk about the format generally. So, um, Paul, you said you've been playing this format a lot. Kind of how how would you give give the thirty second version of what this format is about? 30 second version that's tough this is a such a deep yeah. limited format and yeah. arguably cedric has drafted more than me and it's not arguably he's drafted more than me but <laughs> uh that being said i think just top level uh you know the, the 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 best color i think generally now has uh a lot of people are, i think are on blue uh it just pairs the best with all the other colors black is probably second Black has a lot of really great individual removal spells. However, there are some color combinations where when you pair it with black, it's not quite as strong. For example, black green is not a color combination that people think is great. However, blue black, blue green, blue white, those are among some of the top archetypes in the format. So I think blue is kind of the top, top thing to do. Werewolves, much hyped going into the set, probably the worst archetype to be in this format so red green werewolves is probably the thing that that you want to avoid the removal is great there's a there's an artifact that kills a werewolf there's removal spells that when it's night kills all the werewolves so generally speaking that i think has been the the worst worst performing archetype but if you want to do well if you kind of stick to those esper colors those i believe just have had the overall highest win rates so any combination of blue black blue white and uh, if, if those don't come together, potentially black-white sacrifice, those are all very, very solid color combinations. All right. Well, Cedric, that sounds like eight players fighting over kind of a small space. How do you think th they're all going to come in knowing all of this? Obviously, every one of these people are going to be up on every bit of that and probably more. So how do they get a leg up on each other? So here's the good news. While I do agree with Paul that blue and black are the best colors, I think blue is a little bit out, out in front of black because, as Paul did mention, it does pair well with everything, where black doesn't pair well with everything. White third place, some combination of green and red in fourth and fifth place. The nice thing is, is that, like, all these decks, you can do basically any deck in any, other com in any color combination and make it work. So Paul mentioned the depth of this format, and that's the thing that's kind of the hallmark of this format. And that's the thing that's good news for these players, which is, yeah, blue and black are the best colors. And... Uh, if probably most people here follow Lee Scott Vargas on Twitter. Yeah, you can get some really good Demir zombie decks if things go right. <laughs> but this is the world championship. So I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think we're going to have those screenshot decks. Doesn't mean you can't still get a blue-black deck, but not to the caliber that we've seen from LSV over the past handful of weeks. That said, blue-red spells is a thing. Blue-green, like, mill yourself is a thing. Green-red werewolves, look, the higher echelon of that deck is really good. Doesn't mean that's going to mm -hmm. happen, and you got a lot of you got to have a lot of good things come together. But green red spells is a thing. Um, blue white, you can do a couple of different ways. You can do it with um, Coven. You can do it, of course, with a disturbed uh, package going on there, and put more emphasis on that. Um, red black can be spells based, or it can be vampires based. The, the point I'm trying to illustrate here, because I could go on go on about this for a while, is like there's a lot of depth in this format. There's a lot of different decks you can draft, and they're all different so blake i agree with you these players are going to know going in that blue and black are the best colors um and in a perfect world they're going to get to meld those together and build that perfect zombie deck that Luis scott vargas has had the opportunity of drafting and screenshotting but the reality is is like there's a lot of different ways you can go and your deck can still be totally fine and that's mm -hmm. good news for everybody watching and everybody drafting 
Great. All right, well, let's look at, you know, there's this kind of consensus that black and blue are the best colors, closely followed by white. But let's look at, uh, so again, we went to the arena team and, and asked for some data, and they gave us the uh, highest pick commons and uncommons of each color. So these are the cards oh. that tend to lead people into playing these colors. So we'll, let's go in Wooburg order. So let's let's talk about white. We've got Search Party Captain, Lunark Veteran, and Candle Trap for commons, and then Borrowed Time, Ambitious Farmhand, and Gavany Dawnguard for the uncommons. So Cedric, let's, let's start with the commons. Uh, what makes those three cards important to the white archetypes well i'll start with search party captain which in the aggressive white archetypes can just be a two mana two two draw a card sometimes a one mana two two that just draws a card so there's some benefits there of course a uh, candle trap and i'm jumping around a little bit for reasons you'll find out in just a moment candle trap <laughs> i do like of course because it's a removal spell now it's a removal spell you kind of got to work for a little bit but most white base decks are going to be able to do the coven thing and kind of get uh the creature off of the battlefield that you've granted defender now lunark veteran i may not understand it's fine i'm not that excited mm -hmm. about it uh, it's good in the Disturb decks and everything, but this is one of those cards that's like a little bit, the camps are split a little bit on. I'm thinking of Mike Sigrist, of course, right now, who's not particularly <laughs> fond of this card. Oh, Very anti-Lunar veteran, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I figured you would enjoy that one. Um, but <laughs> um, And then there's other people like Sam Black who are very pro this card. I feel like I fall somewhere in between. And that all that means to me is that maybe there's some reevaluating that needs to be done on my end about how good that card actually is. So who knows? Well, here, here's my... Because I, I followed that whole conversation from Sigrist, where he was very against it and, and didn't get it. And here's kind of where I landed, is that if, if you look to Lunar Veterans, or Lunar Veterans left, our right, Candle Trap there has that word coven on it. And it's super important for the white-green decks to be able to hit on coven. And then if you're a white deck without green, you're still going to have some coven cards like Candle Trap. And realistically, how many one-power creatures are you playing? And so I think Lunar Lunark Veteran really is that role player that um, gives you a one-mana one-one that's not embarrassing, that has some synergies with Disturb, that can gain you a little extra life. Um, it is a human as well, and so like the white-black deck has some human dying synergies. So I, I kind of feel like Lunar Veteran is just that glue that helps make some of the archetypes work. And because it's a one-mana one-one, because it has Disturb, uh, because it's a human, all of those things sort of work together to move it up the list where it's, it's really something you want to be playing in a bunch of different archetypes, even if it may not pull you into that archetype. Yeah, I mean, Lunar Veteran is definitely the most polarizing card probably in the set you have you have camps who love it you have camps who hate it um I, I just think it's one of those cards and i think siggy kind of backed down a little bit in the sense where he was basically making a point and saying that too many people are playing this in decks where it's not great right people are mm -hmm. just 
oh, Lunark Veteran, it has a high win rate. I'm going to put it in all of my white decks, which probably just isn't the correct thing to do. But if you have the proper strategy, if you have a great blue-white disturbed deck where you have a bunch of flyers and you're looking to race your opponent and you have a bunch of shipwreck sifters and you have you just want extra disturbed cards to put into your yard or, or a, 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 a bunch of ways to kind of benefit from sacrificing creatures, this, the stock of this card just kind of continues to go up. But if you're playing maybe just like a random deck that's just looking to curve out, maybe it's not the ideal card that you kind of want in those decks. Granted, if you're just looking to play just a random deck that's looking to curve out, in my experience, that hasn't really been the the, the most winning strategy in this format. It's, a lot of the times it's like your deck needs to kind of have a game plan, follow that game plan, and you can almost kind of build a, a, a tribal or very synergistic deck with the kind of the cards that you value in that specific archetype. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to blue, which we've all decided is the best color. Just this, this one will be a little more, a uh, little less. Can we just, uh, very, can we just, very clear. <laughs> yeah, 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 I can't find the right words. Can we just put organ hoarder just like on a slide by itself? I mean, this, this has got to be one of the best limited commons that we've had in a very long time right i mean what's 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 the last common that compares to something like organ hoarder like triplicate spirits i don't i don't know it's yeah so paul tell us why <laughs> organ hoarder is so great <laughs> yeah. okay so so just even in a uh, just a vacuum without the context of utilizing your graveyard in any way a four mana three two that gets to look at the top three and pick the best card of that top three is just going to be one of the best comments in the set right but then in addition it's a zombie that's a relevant creature type and on top of that putting cards into your graveyard i mean organ hoarder can just do a mold drifter impression a lot of the time right you put a disturbed card into your graveyard you take the best card that you need and all of a sudden you have a four mana three two that's drawn you two cards i mean there are very very few cards in the set rare or uncommon that you should be taking over organ hoarder that's how good this card is and it's a really big reason as to why blue is largely considered to be the best color in the set okay well let's look at the other blue cards that were on the list we'll go back to that graphic uh so falcon abomination what's so special about this card i'm seeing this card picked very very high so well what the fa- paul oh, sorry. I'll, I'll let you take that no i'll let you take it Paul. go ahead <laughs> all right all right all right all right we have a lot to say about limited you know we only do these once a year so uh, <laughs> <laughs> so falcon abomination i mean just just by itself uh you know three mana two two it makes a body and in this format making that body is extremely, extremely relevant. There's just so many ways to take advantage of that decay token outside of just attacking with it, which is generally, you know, what you don't want to be doing in this format. Now, this is specifically extremely, extremely good in blue-black, right? Because there's just a lot of ways to kind of uh, sacrifice creatures to get effects or tap a bunch of creatures to get effects like Scab Wrangler or Seed Zombie. But uh, on top of that, flying is also just very strong in this format. Uh, just, you know, you, you have just a, a bunch of evasion. If you just, if your deck, if you, for example, I think the, the most winning deck, the most winning archetype is actually not blue-black zombies. I believe it's blue-white. And, uh, and that deck is just full of flyers. You play Lunar Veteran to help race what your opponent's trying to do. And the evasion is also quite strong. So uh, it makes sense to me that this is the second best blue common or highest pick blue common in the set. However, I think it is a distant extremely distant second to the organ hoarder all right let's move on to black 
second best color in the set. Uh, up top, we've got a trio of removal spells at common. And then at uncommon, we've got another removal spell, a card that cares about removal spells, and another card that cares about removal spells. Uh, tell me what's going on with black here. <laughs> Yeah, look at, the, look, at, look at these six cards. Yeah. I mean, there's not a ton to say. These th they got three removal spells of common that are all good. Um, and sometimes they overperform. Like, Defenestrate is the most general of these. And there are definitely games where, def where Defenestrate doesn't get the job done against, you know, uh, the Azorius decks that are flying in the skies, as Paul mentioned. Olivia's Midnight mm -hmm. Ambush. I mean, you got a high ceiling and a, and a pretty high floor. You know, minus two, minus two can kill some stuff. Minus 13, minus 13, going to kill basically all the stuff. And then eat alive the fact that it exiles, and you can play it for five, or you can play it for just a single black. And yeah, killing a Planeswalker doesn't count for a ton, but it's nice to have that on there. Uh, Infernal Grasp, pretty clear-cut removal spell. Morbid Opportunist is outrageous if it, do if it doesn't die. It, you know, it triggers off of Decayed Zombies dying and everything else. Like, it's just incredible. And then Dreadhound, I think, of these cards, is the sixth best, which is really saying a lot. Because mm -hmm. it's really good. Yeah. It, it just it just kills people. It's got, again, you're talking about graveyard synergy. It it mills you. Just, there you go. You'll ping them a couple times off of that mill. And then when cards go to the graveyard from your library, it pings. It's just, yeah, I've been really impressed with that card. All right, let's move on to red. All right, uh, Paul, take us through red and what you're seeing here. Yeah, so red, um, if you, if you kind of look here, you do have uh, some decent removal spells. Uh, I do believe most people have red as kind of the worst color in the set just because there's not like a common that you look at and you're like, oh, man, you know, there's no organ hoarder or, or anything kind of even kind of close to, to what you're trying to do. But red does act as a very good complementary color because of those two removal spells that you see on the left. Moonrager Slash and Burn the Accursor, you know, completely fine removal spells to play. The third highest pick card is Ardent Elementalist. Uh, you know, this is a nice way to get back a lot of those spells, that, uh, those removal spells that you play. I'm not super high on the Ardent Elementalist. It's fine. It gets you some value back. Uh, but there's just a lot of competition in the four mana slot in this format. Um, but again, that also just speaks to kind of how deep red is. There's a mixture of removal spells and then some some dinky small creatures that are sometimes good if you're looking to be aggressive. So um, it makes sense that when you look here, you do have the removal spells here being the best. But, you know, I think it's like you see the Moonrager Slash, but then but then if the second highest pick card is Burn the Accursed, and you're comparing that to something like in Olivia's Midnight or Midnight Ambush or, or something like in Eaten Alive, I mean, red is, is pretty far behind those cards. All right. Finally, that brings us to green. Let's look at the top highest picks in green. Cedric, what are you seeing here? Well, Shadow Beast Sighting is a very powerful sorcery. It goes in a couple of hands. I mean, it's going to go in all your green decks anyway, but like at its best in blue-green, green-red spells, if you were able to get that deck together as well. So that being near the tippy top, or I guess suppose, I suppose the top of the three earliest picks here for green commas, zone commas makes a lot of sense. Dual Dominance, Bird Admirer. I like both of these cards. I do wonder where the Farmer is, though, the eccentric one. Must be in hiding for right now, but that card's also very good, so don't sell that one short. As far as uncommons are concerned, Hound Tamer, Clear Shot, Contortionist Troop, those are all totally, totally fine and good green cards. I, if I had to pick one, I'd say Clear Shot is my favorite of the bunch. But mm -hmm. 
I, I, I like all of these green uncommons. So I, I think green right now is an underrated color in this set because I think most were expecting green to just be partnered with werewolves, as Paul mentioned at the top, right? Um, and you got a little bit, you got to get a little bit more creative with green in drafting it in this set. Uh, and I think as players continue to work through it uh, and figure things out, I, I think green, I don't know if it's going to surpass white as third best color or not, but I do think it's better than people give it credit. All right. Uh, yeah. Cedric, Chad is asking about Rise of the Ants. Where does that fall for you? Good uncommon. At its best in blue-green, in my opinion. Um, it's so deck-dependent, which is not the answer that anyone wants to hear, but it's the answer I'm going to give them. Uh, because, like, mm -hmm. Rise of the Ants is so good in blue-green, but, like, there are decks where Contortionist Troop, like in Selesnya, is just the nuts uh, for Coven and everything. So... I think that Rise of the Ants is a really good card uh, in in certain archetypes, but I don't think it's better than the three uncommons that, that were on the uh, previous graphic. I really don't, even though I do think that Rise of the Ants is a good card. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to talking about some of the players. Uh, obviously, 16 players vying for one trophy means we have a ton of good storylines, and you're going to learn a lot about these players over the weekend. Uh, just a reminder as well, as well that there's still time to sign up for the Find Your Champion uh, program on magic.gg where you can win prizes on mpg arena cheer on whoever you pick for the winner uh we'll we'll ask uh, paul and cedric their their picks at the end of the show um and uh yeah win, win a few prizes so let's prizes. um prizes or prizes please. love prizes prizes uh we're gonna talk about three players today uh and we're gonna get a little bit about how each one qualified. So let's start with Yellow Hat himself, Gabriel Nassif. That probably put the nails in the coffin and put Nassif into worlds. Let's see, do we have enough? We don't, I don't think we have enough to play the Doomblade copy this turn, but you can, depending on how he wants to stack up his deck. Right, 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 because of Kefnet. Yeah, yeah, I think he, I think, I think, okay, so now let's see, do we do this now? Will we, do we have enough? Am I wrong? No, I'm right. Okay, never mind. Yeah, so we get to clean. Oh, right, it's two less. So single black, kill that. Sanctuary doesn't trigger because of Narset. So no, Nassif did plan everything correctly. Surprise, surprise. This is just disgusting. Somebody yeah. called the police in here. Yeah. There's been a crime committed. In I, think I, hear, I think I hear an ambulance in the background somewhere. Did you maybe hear that? Okay. I think maybe I hear that, yeah. <laughs> and that's a good game there that's from Ray good. Sato. And that means that Gabriel Nassif is going to lock his seat. Congratulations, Gabe. He is going to move back in the world, try to improve on his finish from last year when he finished in the top four. So Nassif, Hall of Famer, uh, longtime strong player, especially Carol. He's playing the Grixis list. Cedric, uh, how do you like Nassif's chances? Well, I'm a Nassif guy. I am. I'm a big Nassif guy. I've known Gab for a really, really long time. Uh, I picked him for Find My Champion. Uh, and one of the things I actually really like about Gab, we are so, one of the things that makes Magic great, we're so different. He plays so slow. He plays so <laughs> many control decks. He is a and master play... of the rope, just letting yes. it run, run, oh, yeah. run, make it run, run, run. And I play so fast and loose. 
and I love aggressive decks. And Nassif is so thoughtful and deliberate with his play. It's beautiful to watch. Um, but I, there's a lot of reasons I've picked Nassif. I'll, I'll give you the I'll give you the real reason. I'll give you the fun reason. Then we can move on. The real reason is because I don't think anyone's playing more Magic in the world than him right now. I actually don't. Mm-hmm. Um, between all the streaming that he's doing, playing on Magic Line, playing Arena, everything, um, he's playing and he's qualified for everything. Of course, he's playing so much Magic at such a high level right now. And I think that that kind of gives you a competitive advantage. And I don't think that any of the players that are qualified for this tournament aren't playing a ton of Magic. It's just like who, if you had to guess of the 16 players who are playing Magic in this tournament, who's playing the most Magic? I think it's Gap between everything that he's doing right now and just the full commitment that he's had. And I think that sort of thing, small things kind of, you know, separate players, right? Because they're all great. And I think that's a thing where he's just like, I don't have to get back in practice. I've been in practice all year because all this is all I do. The fun reason is because the one world championship that I did play in back in 2009, I qualified for the week before at Grand Prix in Minneapolis. The world championships was in Rome. I was 21, 22, no money, got to Rome. And I'm like, hey, I I didn't plan this out too well. And Nassif was just like, you know what, man, I'll take care of you. And he lent me some money for the weekend. And I don't know what would have happened if he didn't do that. So personal reasons, <laughs> I love the guy. He's been a friend of mine for a very, very long time. He helped me out at a world championship. But professional mm-hmm. reasons, he's playing Magic at such a high level right now, and he's playing so much. I know going against Paulo is the unconventional pick, but I'm doing it anyway. Well, speaking of Paulo, Paul, uh, the world championship is basically the one title that has eluded Nassif. What do you think this would mean to him? Uh, I mean, it would... It would mean everything. It would mean everything. You know, not only it's it's kind of that last trophy that he's missing, and not only that, you get to kind of be immortalized on a magic card. I imagine Nasif is likely going to choose some kind of blue creature that freezes the game, and nobody has any fun. But um, you know, uh, I I think uh, yeah, I think it would mean everything to him, and he and he really really wants it, and he's got a great deck. That deck that they submitted. Is, is fantastic. And mm-hmm. any time that Nassif has submitted a good control deck, uh, you can expect great things from him. I mean, uh, you yeah, know, he, okay. I remember, I believe this was at a world championship. It could have just been at one of our older pro tours, but he, he top aided with, uh, with Cruel Tomatum, Cruel Tomato Control. So now it's a little bit leaner, deck's a little bit leaner. I mean, you still, you're still playing a seven drop, right? You're still playing Epiphany. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, of that squad, there's a bunch of great players, but yeah. Nassif's got to be kind of one of the front runners coming in just because they have, I think, one of one of the best control decks in the field. Uh, next up, another player who has occasionally held the title of best player in the world, uh, Seth Manfield. Let's look at how he qualified. Seth we got some news. Didn't need to win that last game because he has locked up his spots. In the world championship, can we get some? Let's get some air horns there for Seth Manfield. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure he's got to just be over the moon to know that his historic deck, he just gets to have some fun, play some good games of magic, and know that he will be at the world championship this year, joined by Andre Strosky and Paolo. It's some exciting Congratulations, Seth. What a sigh of relief he must be breathing. All right, uh, Paul, where would you put Seth's odds? So I think just coming into the event, Seth has to be one of the front runners. He's 
won basically everything at this point, including the world championship. Uh, so you you have to really like his chances here. And if you're talking about probably one of the best limited players in this field, it's probably Seth Manfield. He's got to be up there with mm-hmm. maybe Paulo and, and what have you. But um, the, the one thing that I think might hold him back a little bit is the fact that he's kind of playing the the deck that a lot of people prepare to beat. You know, the aggro deck that everybody came in not wanting to lose to. And that wasn't the white aggressive deck. It was the mono green aggro deck. Everybody has some kind of a game plan. We'll see whether or not it works. But everybody has some kind of a game plan to make sure that their green matchup is okay. So we've Mm -hmm. seen some innovations from a lot of these different control decks that have traditionally had bad matchups play cards that they're hoping to kind of swing it around. So uh, that's going to be kind of the, the tough thing because there's no surprises Right, he's just mm-hmm. playing almost the stock mono green deck, and it's pretty easy to play around. But you know, if somebody's going to pilot the deck to near perfection, it's going to be Seth Manfield. All right, uh, Cedric. Given given his choice for for mono green and some of this chatter he's been uh, putting out there on Twitter, how do you think he feels about his deck choice now that all the decks have been revealed? He doesn't seem thrilled. Um, now that could be the self depreciating aspect of self of Seth's <laughs> personality, where you know we see this with top tier magic players all the time my deck sucks i suck i can't win oh but what is is this a, oh this is another trophy that's weird you know we see that happen all the time um but i do think that he's being somewhat genuine there um i, I don't think he loves where his deck is well positioned does that mean that Seth's going to have a bad weekend no seth can win this tournament just like any of these players can because they're all phenomenal but i i don't think he's in love uh with with how things have broken here especially you know you knew Epiphany was going to show up. That doesn't come as much of a surprise. Mm-hmm. But you didn't know that Grixis Epiphany version was going to show up. And if you see four of those, that might make you think maybe you got a couple of things wrong. And may- hey, mm-hmm. maybe he never gets paired against it and it doesn't matter. Maybe that's what he's hoping for. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Finally, let's take a look at Noriyuki Mori. Uh, again, the, the kind of rookie who has actually never played a sanctioned tabletop match at any kind That's of wild. high level. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll and see how Mori qualifies. There's nothing that Quizma can draw here, right? What a year. I don't really think so. He doesn't have any untapped creatures, so it's not like he can Embercleave. Drawing a Goldspan's not going to do it. He doesn't have any blockers. He can play a Bone Crusher, but that can get stolen by Kiora Best of Sea God or killed by Fire Prophecy. And I think that Kiora Best of Sea God, it's going to deliver Noriyuki Mori a world's invite unbelievable performance by noriyuki mori this tournament makes his way to the challengers gauntlet after having only been playing magic for the last couple of years he started in 2019 but he has played by like over double more matches than anybody else in the field and now he has found himself a world championship seat what an accomplishment for noriyuki mori so we, we, we heard some of the, you know, started playing in 2019, finds himself in the world championship, hasn't, hasn't played a sanctioned tabletop matchup. Uh, but he's also shown a lot of innovation. Cedric, how do you like Mori's chances? This has got some real Brad Nelson vibes to me. Um, I'll explain what I mean. Back in like 09, 10, whenever Brad showed up, uh, you know, he was FF freak on Magic Line. Who's this? And Paul, you actually, this was kind of you on Magic Online for a little while in your career, too. It's just like, who are, who are these people? I don't know. 
you know, and it's just like this guy's dominating on magic. I'm like, cool, 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 right? But the difference here is, of course, that Brad eventually went to tabletop play, you know, which I assume Mori will do at some point, and got ninth in his first pro tour. And it's like, whoa, okay, this guy's legit. All right. And I got some vibes of that as well right now, too. With like, we, it's kind of like this great unknown, but if you take a look at some of the stats that we have available, lifetime arena games played 27,821. He started playing in 2019. Hours spent on Arena, 3,488. <laughs> He's playing some magic. Like, right? if, anyone, if anyone can compete with Nassif on who's playing the most magic in the world, it's probably him. Yeah, so he's playing some magic, and he's got maybe the benefit, you could argue, because he's playing the Azorius Tempo deck. Like, he's got the benefit of kind of the no blinders on. Like, I'm just going to do my own thing because I don't know any mm -hmm. better. You know, he may not be best buds with all the people out in this tournament because, uh, like, a lot of these people know each other. They've been around for a little while. He's like, I don't know. I'm just kind of a new guy here, just kind of doing my thing. You know, leave, don't know any better, and just I hope the tournament breaks my way. And we're going to find out because the innovations that he has made well, that has brought him to the World Championship, and that's a really, really mm -hmm. big deal. So of all the people we're going to watch this week, you got huge names like Paulo and Nassif. Mori is the one that's most interesting to me because we could have a new star in our hands and not even know it until the tournament's over. Yeah. Yeah, Paul, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about kind of a person who's living the dream, but also probably one of the biggest underdogs of the tournament, it's, it's going to be Mori. But, yeah. I mean... He's been able to prove it time and time again this year that, and, and this is the incredible thing too. Everybody just always will kind of, it's really easy to just be like, oh, format solved. All right, whatever. Like, I'm just going to play these mm -hmm. stock decks and, and move on with my life. People have tested these decks for hundreds of hours. So obviously I'm just going to play this monocolored aggro deck or just control deck. And all of a sudden Mori just shows up with his own Bruce and he's doing it for the world championship, right? He's, mm -hmm. he's not playing it safe at all. Right? He's not just going to go, you know what? I'm going to make sure that I'm the best with the best deck. No, I'm going to play something that's going to keep people off their feet. They're not going to know how to play against me. And I'm going to just play my own brew because that's what I've done to get to here in the first place. And I'm not going to stop. So he's staying true to himself. And uh, just really excited to see if it actually ends up working out for him this, in this event. The big concern that I have for Mori is not constructed. He's played 27,000 matches. It's probably all constructed. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. really it's really draft. You know, it's, mm -hmm. you know, I, I hope he's been, uh, he's been burning some, some, some ham TV drafts or something because, you know, otherwise he's going to be really, really far behind because we've had players here who's been drafting for 20, 25 years, right? Whereas in our kind of competitive history over the past couple of years, there hasn't been as much incentive to know how to draft, right? So these players who have started playing magic over the last two or three years, they're probably not as familiar or not as on top of things when it comes to limited. I think so. I think that's a really good point by you, Paul, too, because taking a look at the stats that we have in front of us, his highest lifetime constructed rank on Arena was Mythic 6. His highest uh, limited rank on Arena is 651. And that's, that's, that's kind of telling, right? I mean, he's, he's proven mm -hmm. that he's a great constructed player. It doesn't mean he's a bad limited player. Mythic 651, obviously that's very, very good, but you compare that with his constructed rank over the course of two years and hasn't had a lot of reasons to play limited. That's a really, yeah. really good point you're making there. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I found fascinating about him coming with that blue-red deck is, is a lot of times we'll see players come up with, with a pet deck and they'll, they'll kind of have this flash in the pan where the right deck, right moment, and that deck just kind of flutters out. But other players saw that deck and adapted it for tournaments shortly thereafter 
and a lot of players, a lot of top players, LSV, uh, you know, adapted it to to a Yorian version uh, for the next tournament after that. So he's clearly got deck building chops. But you're right, we'll have we'll have to see. We just don't know if he's if he's got draft chops as well because we haven't seen it. So yeah, I mean, Jan Moritz right. Merkel yeah. qualified using his deck, right? Yeah, he took the yep. inspiration of that blue red control deck and then just added 20 cards in Yorian because why not and then uh ended sure. up getting there so <laughs> yep. yeah exactly all right well that is time for us uh thank you paul thank you cedric for joining us and sharing all your knowledge with us uh the world championship starts tomorrow at 9 a.m pacific time right here on twitch.tv slash magic uh reminder while you're watching you can actually also play along at home so if you log into mtg arena this weekend the magic world championship 27 showcase allows you to play the decks that the champions are playing so you can play any of the 16 decks you uh you get their little face on your screen there it's it's all good times so you can watch them play play the decks yourselves definitely check that out there's uh there's uh trophy prizes uh icrs all that kind of stuff uh before we go uh cedric you kind of you said it earlier but let's let's give our picks for the winner this weekend cedric it is the yellowest of hats gabriel nasif no one's playing well i thought no one was playing more magic with him maury <laughs> gonna at least challenge him for that title um but gab has also been doing this for so long it's such a high level and it looks like he found a control deck that suits him. And when that happens, uh, the wins typically follow. So give me the seed. Yeah. Paul? I'm going with uh, it, maybe a slightly more unconventional pick here. But I actually chose Ray Sato as my Ooh. champion kind of coming in. Uh, this is even before they submitted their mono-white aggro decks. But uh, <laughs> he's just... He's just been one of the most consistent players ever since he kind of made it into the MPL. He hasn't really slowed down. He's just really put up solid, solid finishes. And that kind of that 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 trio of um, Takahashi, Ikawa, and Sato, and then also, I believe, Riku Kumagai and a couple of other players, but they basically broke it for that last event, right? They came with that mm -hmm. mutate deck. So that team... Yep is incredibly strong when it comes to constructed. And I think they did it again with this mono white aggro strategy. So for me, you know, if I were to choose kind of who I think would do well, it's really just a toss up between Rei Sato and Ikawa. And both players also are very, very confident in their limited abilities as well. So not only do they have really great standard decks, but I think they're going to be fully prepared for the limited portion as well. Fair enough. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Remember to tune in this weekend for Magic World Championship 27. You'll see Paul. You'll see Cedric uh, talking about all of the goings-on. Uh, we'll be back next week with a very special announcement. We'll see you then. Thanks, everyone.